Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation as usual as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Right, here we go. What you think about Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and if you enjoyed our opening song, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band featuring Maya Dora, and you can download it on any of your favorite platforms. For those of you that are new to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, <clears throat> excuse me, we're about sound information, not just sound bites. Our goal is to raise all voices, big and small, from those diagnosed, to those that care and serve them, to advocates and researchers and more. Now, today's show is a live show, so if you want to call in, you can do that and um, join the conversation on the topic that we have today. We're going to be talking with um, author Dr. Paul C. Brown on the book uh, he wrote called Count It All Joy, Reflections of a Caregiver. And um, anything around that topic, we would we would love for you to call in. It's 323-870-4602, 323-870-4602. I also want to thank our listeners for your for your loyalty, taking that uh, time out to like, click, and share our episodes on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and. And wherever else you belong out in the universe there in social media, it really is helping build a sense of community, collaboration, and comfort. And I believe that's the only way we're going to win this battle against dementia. Now, before I introduce our our guest today, um, I do want to give a shout out to a couple of organizations One is, of course, the Memory Cafe directory. They are doing an amazing job. There's over 900 memory cafes that are out there, but there's only about 40 of them that that we know of that are uh, doing virtual cafes in this time of COVID. So go to memorycafedirectory.com to get that information. Know that you are more than welcome to um, attend those virtual cafes, no matter where you are in the world. I also want to give a big thank you to Coral Health. That's C-O-R-O Health, because during during uh, COVID, they are allowing people to download both their Music First and their Coral Faith apps free of charge. So just go to Coro Health, that's C-O-R-O health.com, and right at the top, you'll see where you can download, um, take advantage of that download for Music First and Coral Faith. So let's see, what else? I want to give a shout out to the GAIN trial. Um, This is for people 55 to 80 years old that are diagnosed with mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease. Um, They also, people have to have a care partner or a family member who's willing to attend study visits and report on daily activities and kind of overseeing of medications. And you can just go to GAIN, that's G-A-I-N, trial, T-R-I, al.com en now i have one more the life changing footbar walker i'm peggy from danville kentucky and i'm 91 years old the footbar walker revolutionized my care of george the saving that i made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about 192,000 dollars 
the foot bar walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the foot bar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The foot bar walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's the thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the footbar walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the footbar walker. Introducing wow. the life-changing footbar walker. I'm pe- Let's go ahead. Let's go. Oops, I don't know. We had a little loop going on there. Let's go ahead and introduce our guest today and my co-host. Uh, Kathy Braxton is joining me as a co-host today, and she is not only an author, but a trainer, and she is just a fantastic advocate for all types of dementia. She's worked in the industry forever, and I'm just so thrilled to have her with us. So uh, welcome today, Kathy. How are you doing? I am really good. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's going to be a fun one. Um, our guest today is Dr. Paul C. Uh, Brown Sr., and he was a care partner for his wife, Vera, for nine years. And today he's going to share his caring story and tell us about the book he wrote about their journey called Count It All Joy, Reflections of a Caregiver. Um, Paul is a board member of AERS, which is the Alzheimer's Education and Resource Services in Montgomery, Alabama, which is actually where I met him when I was speaking, which we just determined was last year. I was thinking it was two years ago, um, but he said, no, it was last year. And he is the executive director of um, SPOLI. W.A. Ministries, Inc., in Jefferson, Georgia. He's also a retired clinical laboratory scientist and an advocate for caregivers, as well as the United States, uh, as well as in the United States Air Force, um, is retired as well. So um, welcome, Dr. Brown. How are you today? Well, it's wonderful to be on today. Thank you so very much, and we're doing fine today. Thank you so much. One, wonderful. Now, one thing I, I spelled out your ministries, but I don't. I didn't know if that was an abbreviation or if that was actually the word of the ministry. So why don't you go ahead and clarify that yeah. for me? I should have asked you before we started here. Okay. Yes. Now a lot of folks have trouble with it. It's called SPOLAWA. It's an acronym for Springs of Living Water. And uh, we're a ministry that's been involved for about 48 years now. So it's, it's actually called Spolawa Ministries, Springs of Living Water. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Now, I, I mentioned in your introduction that, you know, you cared for your wife. I'm wondering if you can set up for our audience a little bit as to when you and your wife recognized that there might be some uh, issues with dementia knocking at your door and, and how you handled it and where you went from there. Oh, wonderful. Yes. It was around, I'm thinking, early in 2008. Actually, we were at a conference in Warner Robins, and it was a women's conference that we attended. And someone asked a question, and I was in, I was in there listening to the discussion. And so she raised her hand and answered the question, and I said, that doesn't sound quite right. So I just kind of brushed it off then. But as things began to unfold further into 2008, uh, I began to notice a lot of different things were changing as far as her response and things she was doing. And literally, it wasn't until one day we were driving, I said, I need you to follow me to take the car in. She drove the van and to take the car into Prattville so we can get a service. We were going to leave it, and she would drive back with me. Well, as we were heading down the road, it wasn't that far, but I looked at my rearview mirror, and she was straddling the white line the whole way down College Ford Road. I said, oh, my God, something ain't right. <laughs> so that, that led me to do a little more investigating to find out what's going on. 
And it's interesting. Uh, I encouraged her to, to get up driving, which she did, and might talk about that a little bit later. But um, it was then that things began to become apparent to me that something was wrong, and uh, little things began to add up from there. So I was trying to encourage her uh, to maybe go see the clinician about what's happening with her memory, things like this, and she would she didn't want to go. So finally, she decided to go, and we had an appointment with a psychiatrist uh, at the clinic that we were normally attend. And the psychiatrist, uh, after five minutes of her going back there, came out and got me and said, I want you to listen to this conversation. So she was talking about, Vera, that is, about her children, and and really the only person at the house at the time was two of our five children. The rest of them were already gone and married. And, and a lot of things were centered around that, and the conversation just was not consistent. So she recommended that she see a psychologist or a neurology doctor regarding that and finally I was able to get an appointment and again uh, that clinician uh, did some and I was in the room as she began to ask her questions to do different things and 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 as a result of that she recommended that and she gave me some idea that she may be having an early uh, situation with dementia but we need to have her fully tested so we're living in Montgomery uh, they made an appointment for us in Birmingham uh, at a, the Kirkland Clinic. And and that was interesting because when, when the day came to go, she didn't want to go. And it's difficult getting those appointments, and it was a real struggle. I had to go into my prayer closet. <laughs> I said, Lord, we got to go today. So she had a change of heart, and she drove with me. It's about an hour away. And after having that visit, uh, of course, they carted her off and began to do some diagnostic testing. And when we went back to see the neurology doctor at that time, the diagnosis came back that it was a mild dementia, and they began to recommend some things as to what we can do henceforth. That's a tough one. I remember my mom going in for, uh, you know, cognitive testing, and it was just as much as she wanted a diagnosis. Um, it was it was very difficult, and it was very. Uh, by the time she actually got to you know pass the ten question test, which is what they did like ten years earlier, and then she thought she was fine. Um, it was it was just so exhausting for her. So mm-hmm. It ended up being two half days that she had to go, and it was just so humiliating and um how did your how did your wife take the take the news well you know as i recall um she was quite cordial with it in a sense um there was a lot of resistance later on but she was quite cordial because they recommended uh mri and they recommended you know getting an eeg and other things so she wasn't hesitant to go to those appointments and they, didn't, they couldn't really do the, the MRI because, you know, you have to go into the tube. And she threw a fit. She threw a fit to go in there, and so they had to not do that procedure. Uh, but the EEG they did do, and um, just trying to get more, you know, pictures of what's happening uh, in, the, in the brain area. So um, the thing just began to not so much escalate. It was a gradual stages, I guess, she went through and things began to change. And um, uh, I was thankful for me that I was in a position to be at home with her. Because about two years after the diagnosis, um, um, I, I left left my job um, due to downsizing. But uh, we were blessed to be in a position for me not to have to work. So I became her full-time caregiver. Nice. So, like you said, it was great you were in that position. Um, Kathy, any comments on, you know, what you're hearing him say? I know you talk with a lot of people um, regarding the diagnosis process as well. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I have a couple things. So, um, when when they gave her and gave you the diagnosis of mild dementia, did they specify any specific type of dementia? And then my other question is, um, kind of more on the communication side. 
when you guys got your diagnosis, how did you communicate, how did the doctor communicate that to her or how did you communicate that to her? I know Lori asked, how did she take it? Um, did you guys have conversation about, you know, what does this mean for our future? And, and, you know, was she resistive to that or was she happy uh, to have you on her side? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. Um, as I, I may discuss later as far as the different stages, but initially, I mean, this came as a shock to me. That was never in our plans, as it were. So having received this, I didn't know. I heard about Alzheimer's and all of that, but didn't know until it came home to roost with us. And so I began to inquire more. I mean, uh, they, they recommended some things, and, you know, they began to recommend certain medications and things like this. Um, to my knowledge, I don't recall exactly because it wasn't a Lewy body or different things like this. It is mentioned mild dementia. And she, at that point, we connected with a neurology doctor for her to see regularly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's it just, with that being said, um, I'm trying to re- refer back to a time when, you know, with her understanding, she was a little bit in denial with it because she always had said there's nothing wrong with me. You know, I'm fine. Ah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just didn't, she didn't, initially she did not want to go see anybody about anything because right. as far as she's concerned, uh, everything was fine with her. Yet I knew early on there was something wrong. And when right. the diagnosis came back, uh, I said, okay, uh, what do we do from here? And mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot of things that come to mind now as to... What are we going to have to do? What are we going to have to put in place? Uh, you have something that's terminal. Uh, we're people of faith, and we would often pray, you know, God, whatever your will is with this. And I often would pray for her healing, uh, which she is healed now spiritually because she's in God's presence. But during the onset of this, uh, it was really a challenge to accept this. But again, um, I go back to... 1969 when we got married and part of the marriage covenant was in sickness and in health. Yep. Well, this came along and I was thankful to be in a position to honor that. Um, if I didn't, I would have been outside of God's will. Any other, any other thing said. So I had to commit myself to that and I wanted to make sure that whatever she needed, she received. Didn't, didn't, it didn't matter about the cost didn't matter about time. I wanted to make sure that she would be comfortable and her needs would be met henceforth. So I uh, availed myself at that time to find out more on uh, what resources, uh, what can I tap into uh, to receive more understanding about this disease, uh, what to expect, and um, how do we go, how do we channel through this, this journey and this season. Uh, that's where I was left with. And I'm uh-huh. very thankful for the track that we took in order to uh, navigate through this, you know, with her. Sounds like she was very, very blessed to have you. You were quite an advocate for her. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah I'd, uh, you know, well, again, um, I, I'm also a pastor, too, and I know what the marriage covenant is all about. And... Um, uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback from certain people. You know, if that was me. I don't know if I can do it. Well, yeah. I can't say for anybody else, but um, we we were connected when we made that marriage commitment, and um, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. If I had to do it over again, I would still uh, stand in the gap for her. And yeah. uh, the stories the stories I can tell <laughs> with this journey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was really, really encouraging. It was rough, very much so. And um, but I'm very thankful to have been able to stand in the gap for her, uh, to be the advocate for her, because eventually, as we went through the various stages, it just came to a point that she wasn't able to do for herself, you know, later on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a blessing that is. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah, Kathy's right. What a what a lucky woman. You know, and, and for you, I mean, what a great, great, solid marriage. That's just uh, 
you know, stood up to the test of time there and of illness. Now, um, Dr. Brown, I know you have some some strong feelings about support groups and systems. So I'd like you to talk about, you know, how how those worked or didn't work for you as a, as a care partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I began to inquire regarding that. Um, I began, I was made aware that there was a support for the Fravid Church in Montgomery. That's where we had the conference. So it would be a Thursday morning from 10 to 12. And um, they also had an adult daycare there where she would go with me and she would go next door to the adult section and I would meet with the regular support group. Uh-huh. And uh, I find that, um, and I'm an advocate for that. Uh, it, it, you can you feel free to talk. It's non-threatening. Uh, you receive encouragement. You have the empathy of others. Um, it is a forum, uh, a safe forum where you can release, you can cry, you can laugh or whatever. And I found that to be very um, rewarding in, in many ways. You have folks who were there who uh, who have went through the because of the journey. Because it is a journey, and many of them have lost loved ones, but they come back to be a support to those who are new as caregivers. And uh, it was very supporting in that regard. Uh, occasionally, we would bring someone from an outside resource to bring information to those who are caregivers to let them know what resources are available. And uh, got tremendous help uh, in that regard. And just to, just, just to be in that environment, you feel free to talk. Um, what, what was so funny, and, and, and as I look back, some things I laugh at, some things I tear up with, but uh, she would be in the other room next door, but she was the one that would be singing a lot, and I could hear her singing, you know. I said, okay, <laughs> that's Vera next door, y'all, okay. So we go with our meeting. Yeah, yeah, so she, <laughs> and they embraced her. They, they accepted where we were, um, a very loving support group, even to this day. And um, I'm very thankful uh, for that system that was in place. Uh, what it did, as I began to meet uh, those who are part of the AIRS group, uh, they had what's called a virtual. And this, this setup was for you to understand maybe what your loved one is going through. So uh, what they had next door in another area uh, of the church day in the meeting room, uh, they had shoes you would put your feet in that had little pointers in there that your feet was very uncomfortable. They had gloves that were kind of knitted together where your fingers, you know, you got five fingers, but now you're, you're compromised. You really can't handle the gloves. But to really top it off, they give you a headset that may have about five fingers going on at one time. You hear a siren, you hear a radio announcement, you have something else going on. And they want you to get a feel for what a person who may have Alzheimer's may be going through on any given day. And that opened my eyes up to a lot to understand uh, maybe what she might be experiencing or what your loved one might be or whoever you're caring for may be going through. So that was very um, informative to me. And uh, to have to go through that, but again, it was, I think it was essential for me as a caregiver. Uh, to, to get a better understanding of the disease and, and what to expect and and what to really understand how they may be how they may be feeling on any given day. So that was one byproduct of the support group, and it, it was very helpful to me. And 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 when we would have the conferences annually, uh, of course, my younger daughter she lived nearby. And the two younger ones are uh, close by to us. The rest were out, other places. But it afforded her an opportunity to also come to the conference with me uh, to gain more information, more insight. And, um, and uh, I would say as far as support groups and systems, uh, the family, uh, the five kids that God blessed us with, uh, they were there for their mama. Uh, if I want to go back to 72 and Warner Robins when the third child came along, uh, Vera was a, she was a nurse, that was her career. So she gave her career up to become a homemaker, and she poured into those kids. And to this day, uh, when the tables are turned now, she's not doing well, uh, they were there to stand in the gap for their mama. 
and um, I was on the national board of the American Medical Technologist. It's an allied health organization whereby we provide credentialing for allied health, seven areas. However, um, she would always go to the conference with me every summer, and when this came down, when my youngest son, he would travel with us. And uh, he would be in the room with his mama while I'd go to a workshop, then I would come back and relieve him so he can go do his tourist thing. But he was a tremendous support, and they all chipped in because I was going to walk away from that position. To this, and they said, no, Dad, you, you have to stay connected to something uh, to maintain your mental health. So they, anytime you have to leave home, we're coming home to take care of mama. And they did that, and that was a tremendous help. So support systems, if I can encourage uh, maybe the listeners today or whatever, uh, it is so important to surround yourself uh, with that. Uh, it's, it's, it's an A+, plus. it's a full plus, and uh, it is definitely necessary. And another thing about that support group I attended, when I walked in the classroom, on the board they had letters in, on the blackboard that says T-C-O-Y. As a reminder, as a caregiver, we have to take care of yourself. Yeah. And that is so important. Yeah. I love that. Very true. I have a question. Yeah. Um, did your, your children, did any of them go through, um, I'm going to refer to it as sensitivity training, um, where you took on that physical experience of someone not only that's aging but also having dementia? Did your children go through that as well? Did they experience that? Um, did they experience what now? The virtual dementia um, oh, that no, you did? No. Right. No, not that I recall. No, not that I recall. Okay. Uh, but um, uh, they, 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 they still committed to the care of their mama. Uh, they, were, they wanted to make sure that whatever she needed. You know what I found out? Because we, we stayed, I, we kept, I kept her wherever I went, she went with me, and we would travel a lot. Our home is actually Charleston originally. We would go there or we would go to North Carolina. So I found out in the state of Alabama there are no family restrooms at all. And uh, so we had to plan our trips, where we going to stop, you know, in order for her to use the restroom. I can go in to be with her. And we were coming back from North Carolina one time, and we stopped. Uh, on our way to Birmingham. So uh, we went up to the restroom, and I asked uh, the attendant there, my daughter did, if, if I can take you know, her mother in too. There was nobody There was nobody else using the restroom. So I took Vera in, allowed her to use the restroom there, and as we were coming out, there were two ladies here waiting patiently, and Vera said something to those ladies. I said, oh, oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> I said, no, she didn't. So. I said, Renita, we better get out of here right away. <laughs> so there, there's a lot oh. of uh, different things that would come up that, that I, as I, you know, in caring for her, uh, I recall one Sunday, one Easter Sunday, because I'm an avid person to get to church on time, and we didn't make Sunday school because she was slow, and I was trying to get her ready and all of this, so then she didn't want to go, so finally she said, let's go. And we rolled up in front of the church, and two of the ushers came out and said, oh, Pastor Paul, Ms. Bill, let's help you. And she told the ushers some choice words I cannot repeat. So I said, no, she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave my tithe and offerings, and I was so upset. I went back home mad with her, and I looked at her, and she was smiling at me. And I said to myself, no, I cannot be upset about this. So we went on back home and had a good rest of the day at home. So it was situations <laughs> like that that would come up. And and, and I, I thank God for just the season that we have folks at our, even our church with the support system. Uh, I will share with you now that uh, I'm an, a seven-year now a cancer survivor. So during the height of caring for her, I had a malignant tumor that I had to get removed surgically. And a month afterwards, I had to go for nine rounds of chemo and 40 days of radiation. Hmm. So at that time, I had home health, well, which was also a person who would come in to help care for her, to give me some time to do my appointments, et cetera. But uh, caring for her, and she's beating up on me, and 
what did I do with her children? So as we went through the various stages, getting into this combative stage, that's the time that I began to journal. And journaling was my, I guess, therapeutic way of dealing with the situation that I was faced with as far as caring for my wife. And uh, I would jot down two or three times a week just how things were going, what's happening, you know, how the day went. And this is in the fall of uh, 2013. And uh, in February 2014, I was in the oncology office waiting for a PET scan report when I felt God tug on my heart to write about our story. And I said, not that stuff that I'm writing now. So this stuff is so transparent. But uh, that led to kind of all joy, just, you know, caring for her and uh, the stories I can tell and some I've alluded to in the book and uh, how I was kicked out of the bedroom because I wasn't Paul Brown anymore. Who are you? What are you doing in my house? This type thing. So I would go to the guest room to sleep and she would come in there. So it was a constant, many fronts. But I said, well, Lord, I'm in this for the long haul. I got to understand that things are changing with her. And and you can't argue with it. You have to deal with it as best you can. And um, so those systems that were in place and those that came up alongside to help, even when I couldn't cook anymore during, during the time of my chemo, they came along and they said, well, we're going to cook for you. We're going to provide for you guys until you tell us to stop. So I'm, wow. I'm so thankful for support systems and those who, who, who embrace the season we were in. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you accepted it. Some people will do it ourselves. They don't want anybody in and those types of things. And, you know, there's just, just so much stress around all of this. If you can let go and be gracious and accept that is wonderful. So you brought up the journaling uh, because I do think that that is, beneficial for people to do even if they don't share it all. Um, just to kind of do that and run. <laughs> it kind of acknowledges validates what happens um, and and then move on. But so you've got something to, to remember there. The story you told about, you know, not being able to sleep in your bed, um, that's a very common story that most people don't talk about. And I didn't realize that until uh, somebody in my memory cafe shared it. And um, there were probably six couples at this at this cafe, and they were all kind of on pins and needles of what did she do and how did it happen? And, you know, her husband's sitting right next to her going, really, did I say that? Well, what happened? <laughs> you know, and, mm-hmm. and it was just it was so gracious and beautiful. But what happened was everybody in the group then admitted that it happened to them. They had never told a solo. So I think in oh. people sharing their stories like this, it's empowering because people are embarrassed. They're frustrated. They don't know what people will say. Yeah. They won't understand. And um, just to, to have that acknowledgement of I'm not alone, that this right. is right. part of the process. And this is how people have dealt with it. So thank you. Thank you yeah. so much for for sharing that. I do want to ask you um, in terms of how did you, did you notice a change in yourself in terms of how you served and cared for your wife as the disease progressed? Were there some lessons there that maybe you want to share with others that you found along the way? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, the term that we've used in the support group, as I learned, that it's a journey. And as those who have went through it begin to share some of their stories, and I begin to see how things were changing with me, um, very difficult. You know, someone that you plan to spend the rest of your life with, and now you're, you know, just even though you mentioned the sickness and the health, and now it has come home to you, what do you do with this? Uh, but again, um, it caused me to go to my prayer closet a lot and praying about the season we were in and um, praying for wisdom uh, to make sure that I have things in place for her uh, because eventually it came to the point where 
she couldn't care for herself as it went through those various stages. And I think by availing myself to information, uh, the various conferences and workshops that were made available, uh, and to glean information for me, it's like going into a, 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 an all-you-can-eat place. You don't eat up everything, but you get what you want and what you need. So from the conferences, I was able to get information and was able to employ that information and to understand maybe where I was at a certain point in, in, in caring for her. So it made my care giving experience a lot easier in some ways. And to bring someone in also who she could relate to uh, to come in several days a week to help because I needed time for me as well. And um, we had one person who for almost seven years, uh, Elaine Park, she was our, and, and she connected. She did not want anybody else to care for Miss Vera. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, she came up alongside, and you might say she came along as another family member in essence. We're so close to this day. But, again, um, having that help available, even when I was going through my, my therapy and illness, uh, she stayed on longer so when I came home, she still stayed longer so that I could have some time to rest before she would leave for today. So uh, understanding that as a caregiver, I needed to get ample rest too. And the children would come by with a close friend that she knew who would come by to sit with Miss Vera or Aunt Vera, as they would call her, and uh, so that I could have time for myself as well. Uh, because many times if the caregivers aren't taking care of themselves, they may very well leave the scene before the person who had the illness does. So, um, so those mm-hmm. things were uh, taught me a lot, and and I still try, to, you know, I still try to maintain her. Uh, I often share. She took cosmetology back in high school, so uh, she took care of herself and she took care of our home. And you were walking our home, you would think you're coming to. Um, what is it, good housekeeping or something like that? <laughs> so she took care of that home. So I wanted to make sure that nothing would change when it came to our home and also for her. So I observed her, and she taught me for 49 years of marriage. So I would, I would do her hair when she couldn't do it anymore. I would take care of her makeup. I would make sure that her jewelry is together. I would ensure that uh, her clothes is color-coded. So whenever we step out, nothing changed with the way she would look in the sense of her, her demeanor. And um, uh, I, I was serving her. I wanted to make sure I serve her to the best that I can. And I was so thankful for that. And, um, you know, and we would still have a lot of fun together as best we can. And if we were, we were music people, I found out within the heirs group that music is something is very helpful for those who have Alzheimer's. And um, so we, we were music from the 60s. So I put on some Temptations or I put on some Nancy Wilson or something, and we would enjoy that and we would dance. Even as the different stages would come in, uh, you play that music, she would remember. She would even remember some of the lyrics. So uh, that helps us a lot in regard to uh, still trying to maintain some degree of normalcy as best we can in our home. So I have a couple wow, questions. Wow, you were. Oh no, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Yes. Um, I, I'm I write lots of notes, so I have lots of questions. So, do you, my first question is: Do you still attend the support groups, even though Vera has passed? Uh, uh not at the present time. I, I'm in I'm in uh, Atlanta. Uh, the group that okay. I normally would attend, they would normally meet every Thursday, every first Thursday of the month, and. Uh, but I'm still avid. Uh, I'm on the airs board. I'm still a part of that, and uh, I'm an avid talker when it has different groups. Uh, and they may invite me to come in to uh, to give a talk, etc. And uh, I, I told uh, the leader back in Montgomery the next time I'm in town on a Thursday, and if it happens, it, well, whenever it happens, not now. <laughs> the right. But uh, I, I would go back even afterward. I would stop by. And to give a, an encouragement to those who are going through their journey, yes, very, very much supportive yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. I hear a lot of people. I, I run support groups myself, and 
so many people continue to come even after their loved one has passed away, and they still continue to find it very, very helpful through that grieving process and then to give back yeah. to those who are in a process that they can recall back to. Um, yeah. My other question is, did you see a difference in the way that your children reacted and responded um, not only to Vera's diagnosis but to her in regards to communication? Did you find that, you know, one of your children would communicate and work with her in um, maybe a more successful way, whereas another one was more emotional and had a hard time with that? Did you see differences in that? Well, well yes. Uh, they they, they rose to the occasion. Each one is different in their own way. And um, mm-hmm. uh, I think my, my younger daughter and uh, David, they were the two that, that were home. And of course, my younger daughter is married and not about 45 minutes away. So they were uh, spending more time in, in the essence. Uh, and David lived with us. So he would mm-hmm. see a lot that's going on. And um, But, yeah, their reactions were a little different, but still uh, that was mama. And right. whatever m- mama needed, you know, uh, and, and it's this thing, and I'll make you laugh. Uh, I can remember Renita, because uh, mama sometimes had a tendency to swing at you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you might get caught and, uh, or you may get hit. So uh, I can notice Renita was just standing to the side of her mama, you know, on different occasions. But, no, uh, they, for those that were there, uh, I got an older son. He wasn't there for much because he was overseas. But mm-hmm. uh, each one, uh, in their own way, uh, love up on their mama, and, and they care for their yeah. mama. Mom was there for them, see. And uh, whatever mama needed, it didn't matter. They wanted to make sure that mom was comfortable, that her needs were being met. And uh, so they, and even David, uh, who went with me to my annual conferences, I believe it was in 2012, uh, the organization started rewarding. Uh, different family members or friends. They call it the Friends of AMT Award. And that particular year, they gave that award to my son, and he was so excited because he would be with me at the conferences. He'd take care of his mama when I'm in a board meeting or something. So they recognized him for being a friend of the American Medical Technology and supporting his dad. And uh, he, he was very blessed to receive that. So he's one of the kids in their own way. Uh, right, was there right. to, to stand in the gap, yes. That's yeah. fantastic. Wonderful. That's, that's, yeah. yeah. Very, very much so. Very, very much so. Um, yeah. I'm wondering, uh, Dr. Brown, if you can tell us, you know, as your wife declined, how did you handle the grief? Because that's just such a powerful piece in this whole process. Yes, um, for me, I I grieved during the process, and because uh, I knew, uh, and especially going to the annual conferences and other things, I knew what the end point might be if there wasn't a miraculous cure to take place, and and I would, as things began to decline, I still had her on the go with me. I did not stop taking her with me. Uh, our church family embraced the season we were in, and there were several that came up alongside to care for her uh, that I can be involved in ministry, and, and they, they committed themselves to that. So uh, as I began to see things decline, it was very difficult. Uh, we became a part of a senior center there in Millbrook, and we would go there uh, several days a week. And as things began to come down toward the, the last several months, I would say, uh, they would have an annual uh, Christmas uh, get together for seniors, and uh, so I took her with me again uh, to uh, the senior ball. And they did dancing, they did other things there, and as best she could, she got up and we'd do a little two-step. But uh, it wasn't as as smooth as it was early on in our life, and I began to see things decline. So for me, it was very difficult uh, grieving, going through this process. Uh, even while she is still here, in essence. But again, uh, the comfort of the scriptures, uh, the comfort of the word of God, the comfort of those uh, who came up alongside to encourage 
and to empathize uh, was a tremendous uh, help to me. And um, when she did pass, uh, I eventually attended several months after that because um, I had a lot of emotions. Uh, you know, what did what what Paul Brown do uh, now that Vera has gone? And, uh, and the kids, they were very concerned about me. They wanted to make sure that, Dad, are you okay? I would always get that ask, that question asked. Uh, but I took a grief share course, a 13-week course, and uh, from morning, your journey from morning to joy was the name of it, and uh, tremendous information that came out of it, uh, a lot of good information that really helped me understand um, what's happening. The testimony uh, of those who would come on the screen on the first part of the workshop to give testimony and to share their experiences and then we go through the book to answer questions. Well, it's a tremendous help to understanding um, what's happening with grief and what's happening with me and, and uh, understanding that everybody goes through this thing differently. And, uh, but, again, it was a non-threatening environment that helped me a lot. Um, I was still holding out. I said, well, Lord, you can still deliver this sister. You can still heal her if it's your will, you know. <laughs> And uh, we were we mm-hmm. way toward that end. But um, uh, I, I like sharing stories, in essence. And uh, we took our final trip to Charleston. And I was invited to come down to participate, or was invited to participate in a Motown review at our high school. And I wasn't sure what to do about it. So when I called back to commit myself to it, they had already set up those who were going to participate uh, in the process of the show, but we still went anyway. And it was during the time we were in Charleston that things began to change, and even furthermore, and um, and uh, that's when I think she had a, a conflict in eating and swallowing. That that came into play. And I thought it might have been because mm-hmm. we were away from home, and when we get back, things would get better, and it never did. When we got back, it just got worse. Uh, we had decided early on uh, that if it came to a point that we would not go through the feeding tube issue, we would just let things take its course. Um, and I would encourage uh, your listening audience that there are a lot of things that women need to have in place prior. Uh, a lot of times, folks wait to the last minute to get together with wills and power of attorneys and things like this. And uh, uh, those things uh, need to be done early in life and uh, have those things in place, advanced directives, so when things does come up, uh, you already have that already taken care of. It's not something that you're faced with. What do we do now? So um, uh, when we came back home and we went to a dedication of our grandbaby who has her middle name, her name is Samaya Vera Matthews, so her mama's name will be perpetual in her, but uh, things were declining very rapidly, and uh, as we got to the day that she left us, um, the nurse would call and let us know kind of what was happening, and she was under hospice at that point. So um, I knew things were getting getting near, and that day off, I got up in the bed with her, and I sang to her our three favorite songs. It's Growing by the Temptation. Uh, Still I Will Trust You by Brooklyn Pat, and then our favorite by Kenny Rogers that she induced me to through the years. Excellent song. That was our life. And that was around noon that day, and uh, four of our kids were there. And uh, later on the evening, uh, things began to unfold, and her breathing became erratic, and then very slow, uh, she slipped off and went into God's presence as we were around the bed with her that evening. And a uh, very touching time and a uh, very emotional time. But, again, uh, I'm thankful that she's no longer under pain. You know, uh, as things begin into that last stage, uh, there was a lot of things that she could not do. I was dressing her, feeding her, changing her, get bathroom duties with her, baby, everything for her. And I wanted to make sure mm-hmm. that even in these last moments that um, uh, she was comfortable. 
and and all her niggas yeah. are being mad. Well, and what a what a beautiful way to go with your family surrounding, you know, singing singing your favorite songs and stuff. How lovely um, is that? I, I know with COVID and stuff nowadays, uh, families don't always they're not always able to be together, and so again, another right. another gift. What's I can't believe our hour's almost up. We've only got about nine minutes left. What's next for you? You know, as as life moves forward, uh, Doctor Brown. Okay. What's next for Paul Brown? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, on the threshold now, right now, um, as a result of having attended that grief share class, something that came out of that class was to help you solidify things, have someone or people who knew her to write you a treasured memory. And mm-hmm. um, her life statement has always been this, quote, just do what God says. That was her life statement. If you go back to our home church in Montgomery and ask anybody about that, about Ms. Vera, that's what they would tell you. So I'm, I'm writing a book that is entitled Just Do What God Says. Uh, it's a book that's a tribute to her life and legacy. Um, I want people to know who Vera Brown was before dementia came along. And, um, and we're hoping to release that this fall. Uh, so uh, that's I'm working on that now, and the journey continues even after your loved one is gone. Uh, the memories, the memories you will cherish forever. And um, so, as for Paul Brown, you know, he's moved forward, and I'm thankful for the season that God has placed me in. Now, um, He has brought somebody else into my life, another godly woman. I have come along to into my life, and her name is Sandra. So in this season, I'm trusting God to honor and to honor him in every way possible. So um, uh, life does move forward. It's, uh, you know, when I think back again uh, to our marriage vows, and it says, until death do you part, uh, mom never think they have faced that, and having faced it, you know, what do you do after that really happens? And it's so interesting to say today that one of our very closest friends who Vera worked with told me that, you know, Vera told me that if anything ever happened to her, I really hope that Paul Brown will not be by himself. He will find somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is the season I'm in now. Uh, God has sent me another godly woman, and I thank God for her. And everywhere, she's very supportive. And um, we're about to release this book and tribute to Vera's life, uh, just see what God says. But as I think about Colonel Joy, Reflections of a Caregiver, uh, that was tremendous. And I had not planned to print that stuff because it was very transparent. But I wanted, when we decided to release that back in 2014, that um, we wanted to be a help to whoever picks it up and read it that in the midst of what you're dealing with, you can still find joy in the midst of your journey. And uh, I would encourage those who would love to get a copy to contact me, and uh, we'll make that available to you. So we've got to move forward. I'll say this very quickly. I'll say this very quickly. Mm -hmm. From that grief class, it's like, and what I learned from that is like you had a major accident, and sometimes you have to take a detour, but it's like a detour. But at some point, you have to get back on the road of living. And uh, so it was a season I was kind of pulling aside, but you have to continue to move forward. And I just thank God for his grace to enable me to do that. Yeah, good, good words to live by there. Uh, you can pull over for a while, but uh, traffic's got to keep moving <laughs> with that. Yeah. Now, um, you can get... You can get a hold of Paul by going to his website, which is themarriageworkshoponline.com, themarriageworkshoponline.com. And I believe from uh, from there they can find uh, uh, information on how to purchase the book. Otherwise, is it available on Amazon yeah. as well? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah or you it can is available. email 
Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to, if you want a signed copy by the author, go to my website, and you place mm-hmm. an order to be in the mail to you the next day. So, uh, <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, you can also email Paul at paulbr at aol.com. Paul. Oh, wait a second. I'm looking at that yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah, no L. Is, is there is there is no L. No, I was just looking at that when I when I laid right. it down. It looked yeah. like there was an L. And I'm like, no, there's not. <laughs> so it's P A U B R at aol dot com. P A U B R at aol dot com. Um, any other contact information you want to give people, Paul? Uh, no, that's fine. Uh, the email or the, the marriage workshop online.com and um, you navigate there and you can pull up information about about the book and order it. And uh, we'll be glad okay. to receive that order from you. Very much so. We'll sign it and write you a special note from Paul Brown. Okay, great. Um, Kathy, we've got about four minutes left. Um, I want you to give people contact information for yourself and if you have any uh Last question that you want to or comments that you want to state, feel free. Okay, sure. Um, So I am, as Lori had said, a personal and professional trainer. I train family members, um, caregivers, and then professional caregivers as well, how to communicate with your loved ones. So my my main focus is regarding communication, which is why I had a lot of questions for Dr. Brown about communication and family dynamics. I think that's very interesting. you can get a hold of me via email at silverdawninfo at gmail.com or silverdawn.net at gmail.com, either one. Um, I also have a website, silverdawnconsulting.com. And, um, yeah, just really quickly, I, I think that Vera was phenomenally blessed to have you and her children around her during her entire process. It was wonderful to hear how you valued her um, dignity, you know, making sure her clothes matched, taking her with you wherever you went, you know, that you wanted to maintain for her a life beyond the diagnosis. I think that's fantastic. Um, I loved hearing that you said that the sensitivity training that you went through um, was really phenomenal. That is something that I focus on very heavily, specifically with kids. Um, I put them through sensitivity training because I think that that, mm-hmm. you know, even our youngest, even the youngest parts of our family can really benefit by stepping into somebody else's perspective. And yeah. sometimes it's not the words that can do it. You have to actually act it out. You actually have to feel it. You have to feel the rocks in those shoes. And and so um, I think that it's that's fantastic that you went through that and, and you know, we can continue to push that forward. Um, you know, I just, I, I'm just, if we have a, a second for you to answer this, I hope, I hope there's time. You know, is there anything that you could tell caregivers right now? And I hate to use this word, but I'm going to say it because it makes sense. Any mistakes that you look back at that you, you made that you say, I, if I were to talk to a caregiver today, I would say, do this for yourself. Do this instead. I didn't do it. I know you mentioned to take care of yourself. A lot of caregivers hear yeah. that, but they don't necessarily take it to heart. They they know that that's what they're supposed to do, but they can't bring themselves yeah. to do it. Is there yeah. anything no. else One minute. that you can do? Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I would say this. Uh, if someone calls and say to you, how are you doing? Many times caregivers lie and say, I'm doing fine, and they're not. Mm. There are those who want to assist you, and we need to be open to receive whatever help they want to give us. And uh, that's, that's the best I can encourage you to do. Yes, yes. That's awesome. Be willing to Be open vulnerably up. open. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is a fantastic one, and it's one that so many people fall into that trap. But just given that standard, Pat, answer. Well, thank you both so much for uh, joining me on Alzheimer's Radio. It was a wonderful conversation, and I know our listeners will have learned a lot. Again, you can get a hold of uh, Dr. Paul Brown by emailing paubr at aol.com or go to his uh, 
website, themarriageworkshoponline.com. And uh, you can always check out alzheimerspeaks.com. We've got lots of things going on there for you to explore. Have a blessed week, everyone. And again, thank you so much for uh, caring. Bye now. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye, Kathy. Okay. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.